This is Mary Lewis at A Tiny Homestead, the podcast comprised entirely of conversations with homesteaders, cottage food producers, and crafters. Today I'm talking with Abby about her nomadic adventure of homesteading and her journey to becoming an herbalist. Before you try anything suggested in this podcast, do your research and never ingest anything unless you've talked to your doctor first. Good morning, Abby. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Um, oh. so, so I was looking at your Facebook page yes. and it looks like you've been kind of a nomad. So yes. tell me, tell me about yourself and about how you've ended up where you are. Uh, yeah. So that's what I was excited to talk to you about. Um, so my husband and I met in California 10 years ago. We were very young. Um, we stayed in California for about six months. That's where I was born in the Central Valley and he's from Minnesota. So a long ways for him to be away from home, you know, at a youngish age. And I wanted, you know, to travel and he said, I can ranch. And I'm like, okay. And so he said, you find a job and we'll move. So six months of being together, we moved to Montana and we went and worked for the Gordon Cattle Company there in Chinook, Montana. And that was the largest spread of land that we had seen. And they had 30,000 acres on the Canadian border. And so we were there for like maybe eight months. And it was the craziest thing that I had, you know, been through. We were paid like, a, it was like $1,000 a month. So we had to hunt for our dinner, like, and the place had two privately stocked ponds. So we got to fish all the time and it was just a really beautiful place to, you know, start our, our career of moving around. Um, and so, yeah, we've just moved around from ranch to ranch. We've done some construction. Um, he's built dairies for a living as well in Oregon. And we worked for my uncle on his hay farm. And they had 1,200 acres of premium Timothy in alfalfa that we would ship to California to the racehorses. And then that would get exported, you know, as well to Dubai and things like that. So I come from a family of farmers and painters, and that's just kind of what we've done is moved around. Okay, so how old were you when, when you first started this? Um, I was, I think I was 19. So you were a baby. Yes, and he was 23. Mm -hmm. so yeah I but I'd always you know I was in California and Oregon and that's kind of where I grew up and so that was really the only places that I had been and I wanted to travel and so once I found someone that said yeah you know let's go that kind of started my addiction of moving um <clears throat> and since then we've We've ranched Oregon, 
Montana. Uh, the last big ranch that we were on was in Cody, Wyoming. Uh, we worked on Buffalo Bill's first homestead. Fun. Yeah, and that was um, 120,000 acres. Wow. Yeah. So when you so when you say ranch, is it? What is it? What exactly did you do? Cows, cows and hay. That's what mainly the ranching industry is. Is you know you get hired as a ranch hand and you go fence and you feed cows. If, you know, someone wants to give you the opportunity, then, you know, you get to learn how to, um, you know, birth them. And, you know, he learned his animal husbandry throughout the years, you know, on different ranches and things like that. Um, there's construction. There's just kind of everything on ranches. Um, going from working with premium hay crops to going to like Wyoming or Colorado and they just grow for the animals. It was kind of, it became kind of frustrating because it's like you could do so much better and you could grow such a better crop if they had put fertilizer in or they had like done any crop rotation. There's been places that, you know, the same crop of Timothy had been in that field for 15 years, 20 mm -hmm. years. It's like, that's a little long. So. so so both of you kind of had a paid apprenticeship all along. Exactly. And that, that's fabulous. It is. And that's where I got to learn how to homestead and garden on borrowed land. Mm -hmm. So I started with chickens. Everybody does. <laughs> yeah. um, chickens. And then I had met a wonderful gal in Oregon that, you know, had done uh, boar goats and she has some top of the line bloodlines and she shows them every once in a while. But so she helped me out with the goats. Um, I don't like goats. They're not my favorite animals. Um, they get on everything and they're annoying. <laughs> so they're devils. Yes. They're very pretty yeah. devils. Yes. <laughs> So you have, you have one little one at home? I do. Yep. He's six years old and he's lived on a ranch his entire life. So does he help out too? I bet he does. Oh, he does. He, at the age of three, he could tell you what type of irrigation was which, um, you know, he could tell you the process of putting up a crop you know, from watering to in the barn, he could tell you, you know, the process of how that worked. Um, and so now, you know, I got to homestead on, on different properties. So, you know, we started in Oregon and I had chickens and I've had geese. Geese are probably my favorite um, out of the birds. Like as far as like large fowl, they're really neat animals. I've had ducks, we've done rabbits, I've had quail. Quail will probably be what I buy when we like start our own homestead because the chickens are too much for me to just take care of and to butcher, you know? Mm -hmm. 
so quail are super easy and and then they hatch out in 18 days so mm -hmm. the turnaround is like it's a no-brainer you know even you could do quail and it would be easier to you know for you to manage or your husband to manage you know butchering them you could butcher three and have them for dinner that night you know yeah we considered getting quail um this past winter we talked about it and the more research i did into it the more we decided not to oh, because okay. i kept i kept reading horror stories about how they will kill themselves at any opportunity yeah <laughs> you know i would i would do it anyways just to say that you've done it and sometimes it works and you know sometimes it just doesn't for certain people you know it just depends on how much work i feel like you want to put into it you know mm -hmm. um but the the amount of birds that you could have per square foot you know like it's crazy you could just build all these coops that are you know a foot tall and have them in your garage mm -hmm. and you could have 300 birds in there and you know it wouldn't look like much but yeah, we, we may revisit it, but this, yeah. this particular year we decided we would wait. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really glad that you wanted to chat with me because one of the things that I say all the time is that you can homestead anywhere. And, yes. and I feel like you've been doing exactly that. And I keep, I keep getting into these discussions with people and they're like, I live in the middle of the city in a loft apartment that's 300 square feet. How am I supposed to homestead? Mm -hmm. And um, I have to think about it because it's a whole different way of doing it. But I, I ask if they've ever made cookies in from scratch in their tiny oven in their tiny loft apartment. Mm -hmm. And invariably I get a few yeses and I say, that's a homesteading skill. Baking mm -hmm. from scratch is a homesteading skill. Have you ever picked up, I don't know, yarn and knitting needles or a crochet hook and tried that? And some people have. And I say that's a homesteading school skill. Mm -hmm. And so, so homesteading is more about making or cooking or growing things sort of the way it was done 150 to 200 years ago. And... I feel like people think that homesteading is prepping and a lot of people think that prepping is insanity and it's not. Prepping is being prepared for things to happen. So I'm really glad that you are one of those people who has homesteaded everywhere. So on that note, where are you now? You're in, you're in Southern Minnesota. Yeah. So the deal with ranching and being a ranch hand is it is hit or miss whether you're going to find a good, you know, couple of owners or managers, or if you're going to find bad ones. Um, the owners of the Cody Wyoming ranch, they were absentee owners. So they had managers, terrible, terrible managers. The guy was just old and, for some reason didn't like my husband because he knew more than you know the manager did about hay crops and he was like why aren't we disking this up and putting you know planting a new crop so you have mm -hmm. better 
yields for your, you know, animals. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, that didn't go over so well, I guess with, you know, but my husband has so many years of experience. He's like, well, I just felt like, you know, I could offer my expertise. They didn't want that. Um, so the same type of thing sort of happened again. And we found a bad rancher that we believed because we wanted you know, to get into a house. And, and that's the thing is like with ranch jobs, they always provide housing. Sure. So we've always had housing provided. Well, we are moving to Missouri in three weeks um, because we are in an RV. And so I am homesteading ish in a campground. Uh huh. And I'm now, I've been learning how to be an herbalist for a year now. And so, you know, that process is really nice because I may not have the animals right now, but now I have something else to fixate on. And herbalism has been the best thing for me, like here in Minnesota, you know, because mm-hmm. we have birch trees and everything. So, the campground that I'm on now is 67 acres. And so I have free reign of that. And I just found um, chicken of the woods the other day. Um, we went and picked a bunch of elm mushrooms. They're like oyster mushrooms. Yep. And, you know, and then the foraging, uh, there's all kinds of herbs out there. So I am collecting herbs and drying them. And then, uh, you know, I put them in the bags and put them up in the cabinet. So when we go to Missouri, I can actually start making medicine. I would like to, I would like to try and sell herbal cosmetics. The, you know, selling herbs or tinctures that are ingestible. I feel like it's too hard to get into that. Like, you know, the laws and stuff. I just don't want to deal with. I do know. Um, I make some um, sorry, some essential oil blends and, mm. and I, and I buy the essential oils from a reputable company and then I make them into what I need them to be. Mm-hmm. And I cannot market them very easily because I use one that is, um, peppermint, lemon, and lavender for migraine headaches. And it doesn't, it doesn't end the headache, but it certainly takes the edge off. Mm-hmm. I cannot legally say that because I haven't had it tested and proven by a lab and it's it's so frustrating to me because a lot of the things that we use for headaches and colds and flu and the everyday things that bother us started out as herbs Mm -hmm. it's so frustrating i i feel your pain it is and you know this year I have taken the time to like, I was like, oh, I want to do this. And then it would change and it would change and it would change. And, and I watch a lot of homesteading stuff on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would watch, you know, just try and find like different herbalists and, and things like that. And I, I figured out that I just want to teach people about it and then they can make it on their own if they want, you know, they can make this salve or they can make this tincture because it's so simple, but then I'm not selling it and be, you know, and 
potentially, you know, harming someone. It's just teaching and then, you know, giving out your disclaimer. Um, but I think that that's the path that I want to go down. So on YouTube, I don't know if you've heard of Justin Rhodes. I have, yes. But yeah. tell me about him. So Justin Rhodes, he lives in North Carolina. And he followed... Um, Oh my gosh, I can't even think of his name right now. There's a guy. I will look it up in a moment. But, you know, he does a lot of permaculture and he has a lot. He has seven acres that is open land right now and the rest of it is forest. And so what he's doing is he's pasturing his forest. And so in Missouri, I want to buy wooded land and, you know, build our home there and I want to pasture the forest because I want to document all of that and mm -hmm. teach people, you know, and show people, you know, what it's like and our story and how we do it. And then when we do that with sheep and pigs and, you know, chickens, then we'll build um, a food forest and I want it to be edible and medicinal plants. I think it would be cool to, you know, have that all created and then invite the public out and do teaching seminars or, you know, do an Airbnb and do a weekend of people get to stay in, you know, bell tents or rendezvous tents and they get to have the experience of learning survival skills and learning how to start a fire and cooking over the fire and, you know, just finding the basic herbs, like being able to identify yarrow and dandelions and, you know, just simple things like that. And then teach them how to do fire cider. You know, that's a very simple, fun activity that people can do and not feel like it's too complicated, I think. Yeah. Tell me about fire cider because I keep reading about it. It's not something that I've looked into or done. Mm -hmm. What is it? Okay. So, so with apple cider vinegar, it's like the alcohol in a tincture. Um, but it takes all the nutrients out of the plant material or the ginger that you put into it. Mm-hmm. So in a fire cider, you put ginger, turmeric, onion, garlic, cinnamon, you could do clove, anything that you want, pretty much. I put spruce needles in there. Um, I've done goldenrod. I've done pineapple. You just, you know, are making a blend of herbs in apple cider vinegar that helps with keeping like colds away. And then it also, I feel like when you take a shot of it in the morning, I feel like it gives you energy. So does it boost your immune system? Is that part of the, the deal? Yes. Yep. Okay. And you know, that's where the, the ginger and the turmeric come in. Uh -huh. Um, Oh, you would also add black peppercorn. So, you know, the commercials of the, the CoQ10 or the, you know, the turmeric with what, you know, whatever with Qnol, I think they say all that is, is turmeric and black pepper. So the black pepper 
with turmeric boosts the nutrition value or, you know, so you can absorb it better. Okay. And it's, it's, it's super simple. It's, you know, it's like, okay. And they're selling this and saying, oh, this is the best, the, the best supplement you could take. And it's like, okay, well, that's just turmeric and black pepper. So the in, in a, it's, it's, it's in a way that you can stand to ingest it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and you can make it taste, you know, so many different ways. Like, you know, if you put pineapple in it, wow, the flavor is really, it's really good. And I feel like it's a little sweeter for people mm -hmm. that don't like apple cider vinegar. Cause you know, that could be very bitter. Yeah. So, um, so how much do you drink a day? So I, you would just do like a smaller shot glass of it once a day. So and maybe an ounce or two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. An yeah. An ounce or two. And you would start that, you know, you would start your, um, your process of, you know, making your fire cider right about now. Mm -hmm. It takes about six to eight weeks to, to sit and make everything, you know, let everything get happy together. Yep, exactly. Mm -hmm. And then you just, you know, start taking that, you know, every day, every other day. Um, so then you're trying to, you know, prevent colds and, and with this last winter, I told my husband, I was like, you know, I'm not going to buy any store-bought medicine unless it's like really needed. If I absolutely fail on, you know, with the herbs that I have, with trying to prevent or help us from being sick, then we'll go and buy store-bought medicine. And I only had to buy store-bought medicine once or twice because my son was super sick and that didn't even work. We took him to the doctor and they're like, well, we can't do anything. And I'm like, okay, great. So I just went home and kept trying, you know, the different herbs that I had, making them tea, yarrow tea, uh, yarrow reduces fevers. I've had it actually reduce his fever within an hour. And that was, that was crazy. So, so did you, did you boil it in water and have him drink it? How did you get the benefit from the arrow? How do you do that? So you would put a teaspoon of crushed up yarrow, um, you know, and you could do it in one of your tea strainers, you know, the, like the tea bag. Yeah. Dried, thing. dried or fresh or both. Dried. Either. You do both. Um, yeah. And then you got to add a lot of honey because yarrow is a bitter. And yeah. Are you all, are you using the blooms or the leaves or the stems or all of it? I use all of it. Okay. Yep. Thanks. So it's very bitter. So you have to, you know, for kids, it's hard. It's hard for me to try and make medicine palatable for him to, to take because he's taken it. And now he's like, no, I'm not going to do that because I know what that tastes like. Yeah. So, and he's still sick. So he doesn't understand, like, just do it because it's going to help you. So. And the ick is temporary. Yes. Yeah. But for an adult, it's, you know, you just chug it down, you know, step on it and deal with it, you know, add a bunch of honey, that type of thing. Um, yarrow is also good dried as a sepsis powder. Okay. 
So, or you could do it as a poultice, which is, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but you chew up the leaves if you're out in the woods, if you get cut or something and you put it on there and it stops the bleeding. Okay. Um, back to the sepsis thing that you said, explain mm -hmm. that. Cause I know what sepsis is, but I'm pretty sure not everybody does. So it's like, so in the animal industry, you know, we have the quick clot powder and that stops bleeding of, you know, a wound mm -hmm. or like when we dock tails on puppies, you know, you have to use something to stop the bleeding. Yes. So if you dry the head of the leaf or of the flower, you would grind it up and then you just put it in a little container and you take a pinch and you can put that on, you know, a little cut or a bigger gash if you needed to, you know, mm -hmm. and that would stop the bleeding back in the day. I don't know how to pronounce the actual name of it, but they used it in the military and they would pack bullet wounds mm -hmm. with yarrow. Okay. So I just think it's really fascinating all, you know, the history of, of all these herbs and, and there's bitters and there's calming herbs and there's warming and there's cooling. And, you know, once you really dive into the research of like the things that these herbs can do, it, it's fascinating um, because even like 20 years ago, pharmacists were learning about herbs as well. Hmm? And, and now they don't, but they yes. learned it at one time. It's unfortunate that we don't still do some of it that way. Um, we have yarrow that grows wild on our property and mm -hmm. I've been busy with moving here three years ago and trying to find my feet mm -hmm. because moving from in town to over three acres was a brand new experience for me. And I saw these really pretty plants with these really interesting stems and leaves and then they bloomed white and pink and I had to look it up and I was like hmm yarrow it's an herb I need to look into that mm -hmm. I still need to look into it but now I know why I need to look into it so thank you for that yes definitely you know and you probably have bee balm out there we don't have any on our property oh. I'm so sad um I'm gonna try I've tried to get it going but it's just mm -hmm. not taking we've also been in droughts for the last three summers yeah. which has not helped um we have we have bee balm that grows near us we have coneflower which is echinacea which I know is good also yes so I have to get some echinacea and some bee balm happening here this coming spring because it's driving me crazy that it grows wild everywhere, but it will not grow on my property for some reason. Yeah, that is, um, as I've gone through Minnesota, you know, we were, we have family that's up near Duluth and we're, you know, south now. And looking at, you know, the different trees and the different plants and herbs that grow in different regions of the state is very fascinating. We don't have birch up here, which... Mm -hmm. Birch is another very medicinal tree. Um, if you strip the bark down, it, like from a log, mm -hmm. it's red. It's a, it's a dark red orange color. Well, if you were to put that in a tincture, 
like that, the, you know, very last part of the bark that could be used as aspirin or ibuprofen. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you could also tap a birch tree in the spring and get birch water. So if you're out in the wild, you don't have water, you could tap a birch tree and drink that and that would sustain you. Mm-hmm. So there's so many, you know, trees and plants. It, I love it. And now I'm starting to like post more about what I'm doing with the herbalism. And I'm starting to have people message me, you know, say, Hey, I have this going on. You have any idea what herbs could help it? And I'm like, you're a wise, you're a wise woman. Yeah. You've become a wise woman. This is fantastic. It is. And I just had that happen yesterday. And this woman has, uh, she has something major going on. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, you're seriously asking me this right now? Okay, I will do my research, you know, and see if I can help you. Um, so it's it's been fun. Someday I will go and become a certified herbalist. So then I can just say that I'm a cer- certified herbalist. But um, there's, I think it's going to be a lifetime of research. I think you are perpetually curious and I am too. So this is really exciting talking with you. Um, I just got some, oh, I'm trying to think of the name of it. Touch me not is the plant, but that's not jewelweed. I just got some jewelweed from a neighbor and put that in water, boiled it down. And then, no, I'm sorry, in um, almond oil, sweet almond oil. Hmm. And boiled it for like an hour or so simmer boiled it and then simmered it and i have a quart of jewelweed oil sitting in a dark cabinet right now ready to be made into a salve and i don't know if you know about jewelweed but it it uh is used to take the poison ivy rash down it it helps with that and it helps with poison oak and uh I think poison sumac maybe. And my son actually used some this summer because he got stung by a wasp and he came in the house. He's 21. So he was like, "Eh, I got bit basically. And he said, where's that jewelweed salve? And I said on the counter and he grabbed it and he put some on it within seconds. He said it doesn't burn anymore. So it's also good for um, bee stings and mosquito bites and black fly bites. It's just, it's fabulous. And jewelweed, grows all over Minnesota when we're not in a drought because it needs to have its feet wet. Got it. So I'm, I'm right there with you on different herbs, I guess. Well, you know, I just feel like that's, you know, on the side of what people think prepping is and how they feel about it because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, oh, we have to prep because there's no toilet paper, you know, or there's no food. And, and yeah. I, I feel like, You know, in the beginning of the pandemic, there was just so much politics and it was like, okay. But now looking back on it, I think it was great because it pulled all these homesteaders out of the woodworks and they're on YouTube. Um, Mm -hmm. Roots and Refuge Farm, Jess and her husband and her kids, they have 
a beautiful place in South Carolina now. They moved from Arkansas. And she has a gorgeous, like, garden. It's, uh, it's a, she calls it a garden belt. And it goes, like, down her driveway. She has two giant high tunnels. And everything she does, she does with, um, you know, work. Like, it's a work of art. So she has in-ground plants. She has raised beds. She has the high tunnels. So she's teaching about different ways to garden. And then, you know, you could garden vertically. And you we could, do. <laughs> we do yeah. garden vertically. Yeah. And, and that's what people could do, you know, in town. I'm always mm -hmm. driving. I'm in town and I'm like, Oh, look at that lawn. You know, you could turn that entire lawn into garden space. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's a there's a gentleman in Florida, and again, I don't know what his name is. I haven't watched him in a while, but he has he raises trees and he has a food forest and he has banana trees out there. It's just amazing. And then he also, he has a friend that is sort of like a nomad as well. And he goes to Florida in the winter and he gardens his mom's and his ex-wife's front yard. And then he sells that at the farmer's market in the wintertime. And the entire yard is dug up and is all in plants. So he has sweet potatoes and just everything that you can imagine. And then in the summer, he goes back to Maine and he lives in a rendezvous tent and he gardens out there and he has a giant food forest that he works on with the owner of the property. So there's so many people that are now sharing their knowledge and it's amazing because everyone's done the hard work. All we have to do is just go watch it and learn, you know, they yeah. videoed and even like the off grid people, you know, there's, you could learn how to off grid, you know, in a couple of weeks by just watching YouTube and what everyone else has done and they're sharing their experience and what's worked and what hasn't worked. So, uh, of course, um, I have a couple of things about the pandemic. Number one, it was the quietest apocalypse ever. Mm. could not could not believe how quickly everybody cocooned and dove into themselves because there was nothing to distract them and that's part of what you're getting at is that people had time to look at what they were doing and change it or get more into what they were doing and share it yes we moved partly because of the pandemic. We lived in, in town, Jordan, Minnesota, okay. and our neighbors were, were very close. And it was, it was so hard being in town and being surrounded by people, but not being able to be near people. Yes. And we had already wanted to move further out. So that was a big part of why we moved. It was like, okay, well, this is, we're going to be in this for a while. Where do we want to be? And how do we make that happen? Mm -hmm. And um, 
regarding turning a yard into a garden, we did exactly that where we used to live. Our entire backyard was vegetables and herbs and rhubarb and um, flowers. Mm -hmm. And when we first ripped it up to put things in, our neighbors thought we were nuts. They they did that. not they did not understand and they weren't mean about it, but I know they didn't understand. Mm -hmm. And that summer after we had planted cucumbers and tomatoes and herbs and the rhubarb was already there it was a huge established patch, which I, which I loved. We went to our neighbors and gave them bags of cucumbers and tomatoes. And once they tasted them, they completely understood what we were doing and asked if we were going to continue to do it. So it's, I think that inherently people are afraid of things that they don't understand mm -hmm. as a general rule. And the ones who step beyond that and try to get an understanding and a knowledge of the thing that scares them are the ones that, that are the pioneers. They're the ones that say, okay, yes, it's scary, but let's figure it out. Yes, definitely. So, well, so I, I think the pandemic opened up a lot of opportunities for a lot of people. Yes, it did. You know, the other movement that happened during the pandemic was people started selling their homes and moving in RVs and traveling. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people went to Florida because Florida had whatever, you know, going on that people liked. But yeah, I and I thought that was great because we used to RV before RVing was cool. And, you know, now people are raising children and they're homesteading sort of by homeschooling and kind of going back to the basics of like, what makes you happy? Like, what are we doing? You know, you're just living and working and that's all you do. So I think it's neat that there are people that decided to go and like show their kids the world because that's what we've done. Like our kids probably going to be to, you know, 25 States by the time he's 18 with the rate that we, you know, <laughs> that we're going. Mm -hmm. But so I think that that's really neat that people are starting to like homeschool and the old ways are coming back, which is nice to see because I'm not looked at like I'm the weirdo or, you know. Yes, I, I do know. I really, really do feel your pain on that one too. When we told our neighbors that we were going to be moving, it, it, the reaction was the same with everyone. Mm -hmm. Utter shock, like a sad face, and then a big smile and we're so happy for you because we had talked about it with them for years that mm -hmm. when we had the opportunity to go, we were going and I don't think anyone believed it. Got it. And so I, I had one, one of my neighbors who was a friend cry when I told her and I was like, please don't cry. Please don't cry. We're not leaving the state. We're going to be here. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, but, and I said, no, 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 no. I told you, I told you years ago. She's like, I know, but, and I said, no, stop, stop, please stop. She's like, I'm really, really happy for you. I'm really sad for me. I said, okay, I can live with that. You can come visit anytime you want. Yeah. So yeah, it's, 
it's really hard. And it was also bizarre because the only time I've, I've made a big move like this was moving from one state to another state far away. And okay. so we're only maybe half an hour from where we used to live. So we still go to where we used to live and we mm -hmm. still shop at the same market sometimes. And we go visit friends there. And when we drive by the old place, I'm like, I cannot believe we lived there. It just doesn't seem possible that we lived there. Yeah. But anyway, getting getting far afield again here because we've been talking for 40 minutes and so now I'm starting to ramble. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Um, I think I'm probably going to name this episode The Nomadic Homesteader because okay. that's, that's what you've been doing. I think that would be it great. Is. Definitely. Um, you know, I think... I think being able to homestead and learn how to garden on borrowed land, we can buy our own and I can say, okay, I'm going to have these animals and I already know how to do it. So I don't have to do the trial and error for two years. Like, like we are. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know, and I can say, this is what I want. And, you know, now I have, you know, the vision of teaching others and, you know, instead of like trying to sell products, I'm going to sell, you know, my herbal cosmetics and go down that road, but I'm going to teach herbalism instead of like try and sell products that are ingestible and things like that. Because knowledge is power and i think everybody needs to go out in the woods and just stop and look and see what food is out there because there is food out there and you know the mushrooms are amazing and once you get like you learn how to forage for mushrooms you can actually smell them when you walk you know near a mushroom you can smell it on uh -huh. the ground or on the tree and i think that that is so p empowering to say i i smelled that or you know i knew it was gonna be here because i had a feeling so but yes i appreciate you taking the time to consider having me on your podcast I am so glad I did because this was really interesting and I was desperate, desperate to talk to someone who was into something that I hadn't talked to someone about before. So this is great. Um, thank you so much, Abby. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, Mary, thank you. And I hope that you have a, a great gardening and homesteading year next year. Same to you, ma'am. Have a All great right. day. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye.